you don't have to be an entrepreneur to make an impact, right? Working with the company like Evoco, we're trying to hire talent, man. We want energetic, young talent that wants to do what we're doing. And not necessarily just, I want to be a chemist and, and make chemistry. We want people involved in the culture of Evoco that want to make plant-based chemistry that makes a difference. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the It's a Material World podcast. I'm your host, Puni, and I have David joining me today. So what's new in David's world? Anything since our last episode recording? <laughs> I uh, went on a work trip to San Diego for a day. So nothing too long, but getting to travel, which is exciting. But yeah, I was only there for a little bit, so I didn't get to do too much, unfortunately. But next time, I'll do more. <laughs> <laughs> How long are you there? Oh, literally like a day and a half, so not that long. <laughs> but uh, it was fun, you know, get out of the house, go somewhere new. Yeah, true. Enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> Extensive trip. Yeah. No, I, <laughs> when I went to Costa Rica for work, it was similar. It was like, man, I wish I was there for like a couple more days for the weekend, you know, just to be able to explore. But it was a lot. It was very work focused during the week, but it was still really cool to be in Costa Rica. So definitely not complaining about that. But in terms of what's going on for me, you know, just came back to Minnesota and just kind of settling back in into the new routines and everything like that. But work is going well, getting more, more and more growth opportunities and leadership opportunities. So super exciting and very happy about the work I'm doing here at Boston Scientific. And I guess we can just, you know, jump right into the conversation because our guest today, Jason Robinson, is also very, very excited about the work that he's doing at Evoco. He's been in the climate tech space for a long while and, you know, seven years ago, kind of co-founded Evoco, which creates bio-based materials for footwear components. And so we really get into the sustainability aspect of this industry. It's a, you know, unique industry and it's kind of their starting off point, their branching off point into, into many more industries. So David would love to hear more about your favorite aspects of, of the episode and what to look forward to. I think that he's very, very enthusiastic and he's been doing it for a long time. So it gives a lot of great insight, but I thought what was especially like pertinent and which I thought was the most interesting to hear about was just kind of like his plan and how they kind of not stumbled upon, but like he said, picked a low hanging fruit for the company's first actual like venture out into what will they make as a first product. And then he goes into detail about how they had the idea of sending out betas. And so instead of doing a perfectly 100% recycled material, doing something that's slightly less, but still a substantial like ecological impact. And I thought that was very interesting to hear his mindset and how they decided things like seven years ago. And now they're like finally starting to like push out more and more material and so I thought it was interesting to hear their idea and kind of their thought process and then about the execution that it took to get to this point. And speaking of the execution, I was particularly impressed with their timeline and you know how quickly they were able to put out a commercial product. And it was just really cool to hear about kind of the maybe engineering challenges that they faced and how they were able to overcome that to scale up relatively quickly, you know, and, and just see kind of their growth strategy. But yeah, it was also just cool hearing his perspective on 
the impact of consumers voting with their wallet, right? And paying for more climate-friendly products and seeing how that is influencing companies in today's world, you know, balancing cost, performance, and environmental impact. And how does that differentiate from company to company? So a lot to look forward to in this episode. And he shares a lot of great advice as well, not just from the entrepreneurial standpoint, but just also in terms of continuing to grow what passion may or may not look like and how to continue to build on that early on in your career. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, everyone. In today's episode, we're very excited to welcome Jason Robinson from eVoco, a Canadian-based company that creates high-quality, sustainable products with plant-based chemistry, aiming to replace oil-based materials in the footwear industry. Jason is eVoco's CEO and holds a bachelor's degree in chemical engineering from McMaster University and an MBA from Western University. He's had diverse backgrounds of experiences, including roles in process engineering, all the way up to senior management. Thank you so much for joining us today, and we're very excited to chat about the role of biomaterials in footwear. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. The work that Evoco and other biomaterials companies do is super essential in reducing and eventually eliminating the carbon footprint in, in our world. And so I saw a post you made on LinkedIn about how you founded Evoco in your kitchen about seven years ago. So I was wondering if you could share that with our audience of kind of what opportunities you saw and how you leveraged your background to start this company. Well, I, I've spent my whole professional career in the climate tech industry. So meaning I've done engineering world of anything from solar all the way through developing materials, chemistries, even fuels from plants. And, you know, there was this very prevalent thing that was, as I was going through this earlier in my career, is the challenges of bringing these technologies to market so that one, the consumer can use these technologies and understand their impact, their positive impact on the planet, and two, making these things affordable. So when I developed and worked to develop with the co-founders of the business, the idea was to make a product that we could bring to the consumer with a message, but also make it performance-driven and affordable for the consumer. Hence the reason why we started with this plant-based chemistry platform to create these brand new materials that we can use in footwear and even beyond footwear. So think about the materials are in footwear are plastics and foams. We can use this platform to make a variety of different foams and plastic materials as components for footwear, but this can also be suited for furniture, bedding, and even the automotive industry. So yes, we are going to capture the hearts and the minds of the footwear industry, but we are definitely going to go after much more industries beyond that as well. Before we dive into your technology in the footwear industry, I would just love to get your perspective on what sustainable material space looks like at the moment. You mentioned performance and affordability, right? But I've heard some different opinions where some people are really valuing like the sustainability of these new materials and compared to kind of what's used traditionally. But then there's others where the perspective is cost is still most important, cost and performance. So they're not really willing to pay more just for the materials to be sustainable. So I'm just wondering, what does that space look like in your opinion today? 
Well, the space is broad, right? So you don't have a specific customer that has a specific desire for just performance and cost or sustainability. Like you have to think of things holistically, right? So if you can offer a value added product that offers a measurably sustainable technology behind it, they may be willing to pay more or place it in a product that may be charged more to the consumer. So think about some of the shoes we wear can be $50 to $300, right? So depending on what market you're targeting, the consumer you're targeting, these technologies can play a role. But it's a crucial that you have a technology that works, right? That's why we talk about performance at Evoco. It's got to work, it's got to last, and it's got to be feel good to the consumer, to the customer. And so when we talk about the technologies, I think technologies today are being developed at different platforms, right? One, some technologies need to scale more. So as they're scaling, they're more expensive at the beginning than they are at their end of their, their cycle when they reach economies of scale. But Evoco took a different path. We took a path that we could scale the technology very quickly, reduce capital costs. That means cost of the equipment to build the and make the materials itself and try to mainstream this thing very quickly. So even though this started seven, eight years ago from a conceptual basis, we were able to bring this to market very quickly because we were offering things like, for example, this Vans product as an insole or a midsole technology that we could slot into a shoe that could go to market and do so in an affordable way. Now, it may not be cheaper or may not even be parity to the incumbent technology, but what it is, is it's affordable to the consumer and affordable to the product that we put this in. So Vans, a great consumer for the younger demographic, a great product um, and a great partner to Evoco. These sorts of things are important to understand in the context of the holistic perspective of integrating new technology and more sustainable technology to existing material supply chain. Like you just talked about, sustainable technologies seem to have really taken off since COVID. Could you explain why this is? Is it perhaps restrictions in supply chains making us look for different ways to produce the same products that we need every day or other government regulations? I think we've been unpacking these types of businesses for 20 plus years. I think it's become more mainstream these days, more prevalent to not only the consumer, but the human race of dealing with everything we're dealing with today from climate change to geopolitical risk, right? And the reason why I mentioned geopolitical risk is oil is a main feedstock of all the materials we use in our everyday lives. There's a good opportunity to diversify that feedstock into other materials like plants, like waste materials to make footwear, beds, pillows, couches, that sort of thing. And I think when we look at this, again, from that holistic perspective, diversity of the supply chain was one reason why I think some of these technologies came out was because we're reliant on one type of material to provide our fuel, divide our materials, to provide our chemistry. If we can diversify that, that's an important thing. But I think the sustainability story is quite important today to a variety of different uh, demographics or generations. And I think the younger generation today is understanding through their purchasing power, their consumer behavior, probably made a little bit more relevant during COVID, they can have the power to actually make change through that, that, that behavior, right? And through education, 
And through having podcasts like this, it's important to get that message out there. As a younger consumer, let's start preferentially buying better product that is more sustainable and measurably sustainable, not just to buy the greenwashing stuff or the low-hanging fruit. Sometimes we have to reach a little bit farther into that rack or onto that shelf and look a little bit more deeper into the products you're buying. And I think that's part of the movement that's coming out. And that's what will provoke the change going forward to its more systemic and ubiquitous across all industries. Mentioned greenwashing. Is there anything you suggest, at least in the areas that you have expertise in for us as consumers to look for versus what may be kind of categorized in like that greenwashing scenario? Well, certification obviously is important. So what we use is a thing called an LCA or a life cycle analysis that measures your carbon footprint over the life cycle of that product, shoe, material, whatever it is, right? But not everybody can go and understand what an LCA is, or sometimes they don't even tell you what that carbon footprint of that product is. Some do, some don't. And so if you're looking a bit deeper, I think you would find opportunities to measure some of the product and the carbons. You can do that. You can do that through various indexes or sort of thing. But I think a lot of people are moving to certification. And there's industry certification that you can use, like the USDA BioPreferred and Green Circle Certified. So that measures what we call biocontent or plant-based content of a material. There's also other ways of looking at this with self-certification from the brands. We're telling you this is good because it's organic, or we're telling you this is better because of these lists of reasons. And, And hopefully they're quantitative. But What you sometimes are dealing with in that space is that little bit of marketing spin and more qualitative assessment rather than that quantitative. So I think as an industry, we're going to have to work a little bit harder to be able to bring certifications to the forefront so it's understandable to consumer. That's a leap we need to take to make this industry more consumer friendly. But I think working with certain brands that are more preferential to these types of endeavors like being more sustainable or trying to measure their sustainability and their carbon footprint is your first bet, right? Find the partners that you want to work with or want to be a part of their branding strategy and buy their stuff. Then look for the right people that are trying to put that messaging forward first and then try to dive deeper into the product that you're buying. If we break sustainability down, you could break it down to a few parts like beginning of life, end of life, recyclability, et cetera. When you think of it as a CEO of a sustainability company, what do you think customers or us as consumers are most keen to uh, latch on to? And how does that affect your business strategy when marketing, such as do you really focus on the beginning of life you're taking from plants or talking about how recyclable it is, et cetera? Well, I think uh, to start off, um, recycling is a very easy to understand process, right? You put stuff in, and certainly here in Toronto, Canada, we put our recyclables into a blue bin and it supposedly goes to a, a whole value chain where you start to turn that into other products, which is not the full story. And I won't get into that whole thing right now, <laughs> but people understand recycling because they deal with it in their everyday lives, Right. What we do with a bio-based or a plant-based product is we look at the whole life cycle. Again, this word holistic, looking at it from beginning, from the end of life, and it's transition through that use and that user cycle, right? 
So at the beginning of life, we use renewable products, renewable materials, plant-based materials that are less carbon intensive than using oil. We design those products to last longer, to perform longer. So it has a longer lifespan, therefore reducing that consumer consumption metric that, you know, high consumerism, high consumption metric. And then at the end of life, these products, because they've been decarbonized, detoxified, made from more renewable materials, can biodegrade and have an end of life story. Or you can choose to recycle some of these products. The big difference today is a lot of the materials we have recycling in for the, say, the fashion footwear or other industries that use foams and plastics is pre-consumer recycling, meaning it's recycling before it gets to the consumer and is used. The recycling supply chain of post-consumer is much more complicated. So we can use our materials in a pre-consumer recycling, which we will do for productivity to reduce waste to land, solid waste to landfill. But at the same time, you still need to look at the start of life of utilizing a less carbon footprint product, a detoxified product that you can put in the marketplace perform for use in everyday life, and then look at the end of life and the impact at end of life as well. So we look at it from all perspectives. I'd love to dive into one of Viboco's technologies, the FATES foam, F-A-T-E-S, and its role in the footwear industry. So obviously, as you mentioned, performance like feel and durability are key attributes in this space. So can you speak to the FATES foam's performance from those two perspectives? So FATES is our introductory technology or FATES EcoFoam. It's again featured in products like the Vans product here, which they call EcoCush. That product is a 70 to 82% plant-based, bio-based material. It is a function of utilizing novel technology and patented technology that we have and manufacturing it in a way that is least disruptive to the footwear supply chain. And that's been a key focus of us. That's how we've been able to scale the business. But when I look at the product and its functionality, what we are doing is either matching performance of the status quo or the incumbent technology, or even outperforming it in certain ways as well. And I think that's been a critical path of integrating some of our technology into the footwear sector is the ability for it to work the way that brands our customers want it to work while having measurably sustainable decarbonization, detoxification metrics that they will look at as a part of their ESG platform and then put that in a product that is being sold in the everyday marketplace. So it is a, it's a premium product, but it's an affordable product. So when you talk about premium, you'll have different materials from very cheap, but may not last very long or high performance materials that have longevity, that have performance metrics that, that mean something to the customer. And we've done that by having a significant reduction in carbon footprint, over 10 times reduction in carbon footprint, while really detoxifying that whole material supply chain. And then communicating that that quantitative measurable decarbonization effect we have from our technology to the customers and them saying this is great this is a part of a sustainability product or part of our ESG mandate corporate mandate or we need to sell this technology to the retailers to get to the consumers there's a variety of things that happen after we develop the technology but i think the important thing is is it's a measurably sustainable measurably carbon reducing technology that is performing 
just as good or better than anything in the marketplace today. So basically, when we think of footsoles today, there's already infrastructure in place to create and combine all the pieces together. And when it comes to innovation, usually sometimes the innovation comes with different material properties. So now you're not able to produce in the similar way. Is this an issue that you have? And if so, how do you overcome some of these issues where it's a new product, there's a slightly different way to do it, but you have to change like just a slight bit of infrastructure, but it has ripple effects to the rest of the shoe? We haven't really encountered that problem. So for example, very early on, we set up our manufacturing production and our supply chain in Asia. Obviously, that's where predominantly of our footwear is made. And because it's a global product and we can really be diverse in how we make this product, we're also moving into Europe and other parts of the globe as we speak, right? So we were able to flawlessly integrate into our customer's supply chain. So by integrating our value chain and expanding our value chain, we were able to integrate into their supply chain without having any disruption. And we did this in the middle of COVID. So when supply chains were massively disrupted and we still grew during that time. So that's a a big statement to make. And then obviously, the world's our oyster at this point now that that we're kind of out of here. And yes, we have headwinds with certain economic issues going forward, but there's always going to be this growth and this opportunity because of that flawless integration into their supply chain. As we grow, as we offer new technology, we will use similar paths to integrate our tech into a variety of different industries, working with either partners or integrating it under the Avoco umbrella. So we really haven't had that problem, but we looked at this right from the beginning, some seven years ago of how we'd set up the business and why we'd set it up that way. And I think, you know, it's paying dividends at this point. You talked about quick to release even seven years ago in your strategy, quick to commercial release. What advantages did Evoco have that allowed for that more rapid scale-up and just kind of like the impressive timeline to to get to commercial release and and to the scale. Well, I think we we did a lot of work on the sales front to get in front of the customers to explain the story, not just selling a product, but explain the story around the product. And I think that was important. But uh, I think the other thing is we just made it easy for them to work with us. And by doing that, you know, being in Asia and, and being able to be affordable as a product. I think that allowed us to really seamlessly integrate our technology and make inroads with these brands and then to build out, you know, from the small to mid-size to the larger brands and build that business out. So, you know, I I think the main thing, though, is you you have to build relationship with the customer. And sometimes it was difficult doing it in COVID over Zoom or whatever media you use, apologies. But (laughs) but at the same time, we were able to do that. But now it's really still in kind of maintaining and building upon those relationships, but also making it easy to work with us, I think is key. From the production standpoint, were there any challenges in terms of like scaling your technology to meet the demand now that you had everything from the the sales standpoint? Yeah, one thing is we could use standard off-the-shelf equipment to make some of our products, but we had to make some modifications to that to make our product work within that. Now that's good because it's some IP or trade secret and um, how we do that, but it doesn't cost us any more money than say someone that's pouring fossil fuel-based chemistry into a product. So I think the key and element around this is that our ability to scale was using off-the-shelf equipment, but modifying in a way that works with our materials.
Well, you noted before in the conversation that we want to wean the global market off fossil fuel dependency. And your approach of this new material that's greener and doesn't rely on it is a great approach. But when you had it seven years ago, I'm sure there's a lot of different markets that you guys were thinking about entering. So we want to know how did you choose footwear? And then now that you have started to produce and actually sell material, what does the growth plan for other industries look like? That's a great question because uh, it was a bit serendipitous, to be honest, <laughs> how we ended up in footwear. But I was doing some work in footwear. Uh, we had some relationships in footwear already. But we really kind of tried to break into the automotive sector first, thinking you know large volumes, large opportunities. But the product development cycle in automotive is much longer than, say, a footwear product, right? So we're trying to really go after low-hanging fruit. Again, we, we talked about the path to revenues being a lot quicker and we thought there was an opportunity and there was a real desire from footwear companies, footwear brands to start looking at ways to go beyond maybe recycling to be more beneficial in terms of offering more sustainable materials and products in their value chain. So I think it was kind of at that time, very new and novel, but open ears, like someone that was listening to you, trying to understand what you're doing. But seven, eight years ago, bio was not a thing. And in this, it was really recycling. So I think we were part of the pioneering of this industry in footwear. But I think at the same time, you know, now we're on that critical path of growth. And that's in line with growing of the bio, the plant-based materials in footwear industry. But now really trying to see that go beyond footwear. And so as we look to the future, our business, yes, predominantly in footwear today, but we think there's a lot of opportunity to extend out to other industries. So when, like you said, it's the frontier like seven to eight years ago. And so I'm sure the, the journey has been very difficult. So as a creator and a CEO of this company, what were some of the things that you did to make sure that like you didn't lose hope because you're at the cutting edge of a frontier that hasn't proven that people will want it, even if you deliver at the very end? Yeah, that's a that's a tougher question to ask, asking an entrepreneur why they do things. <laughs> but I think there's a, a fundamental belief, not just with me, but the entire Avoco team. And I got to hand it to the team for sticking with us through the perils of, of growing a business. It's not easy. But when you believe in something, so I spent my career working in climate tech, right? Clean technologies that better the planet while offering value to all stakeholders, shareholders, employees, and stuff like that. So we have to understand, again, from a holistic perspective, I keep using that word, but you can't look at things singularly. Like, I'm just going to go out and save the planet. You have to look at things in the context of a business, of a business strategy, and you have to have fundamental belief in what you're doing. And it's not always easy. It's not going to say I have a passion for making insoles, <laughs> but I certainly have a passion for growing the business. I have a passion for bettering the world by offering other benefits to all stakeholders. But I would say very honestly, I love what we're doing. I love the business we're working in. You know, I, I keep showing this product, but it all starts with an insole and it really grows from there, right? And so now we can offer new technologies around the foot and around footwear technologies and materials. And we can move outside of that, that business and that vertical on the basis of just having a strong technology platform, a strong business that has revenues and allows us to further expand our opportunities. 
since this is a materials podcast, can you talk about to whatever extent you're comfortable, what materials you commonly work with? You know, like our one of our favorite partners, Checkerspot, they use bio-based polyurethane, right? So we'd just love to hear more about your plant-based materials and if you're focusing on kind of one class or if you plan on expanding in terms of your material uses. So predominantly today we're in plant-based polyurethanes is, is our, we have like a hybrid like system that we use to make their, our products. Uh, but we have technologies that stem beyond polyurethanes into other elastomer type technologies. We have over 20 patents. And so some of that is about working within the framework of the polyurethane or the footwear material spectrum or foams. But we also have thermoplastic technology. We have coatings and films we have a product that is a plant-based leather alternative technology. So that can be used to clean up the fake leather market, which we seems to be predominantly growing as well today. But so we have a variety of technologies, right? And, and so with that, it's the backbone is chemistry. And we use plants to make new novel chemistry that we can use in a variety of different polymers, chemistry systems, or material systems as well. So to the extent I'd like to talk about is it's a pretty diverse technology offering, but what we do is in our R&D is we have a lot of directed R&D, blue sky R&D. So we have a big R&D team that focuses on developing a whole bunch of new technology. We even have a 3D printing program that 3D prints plant-based materials, obviously for the future, but we have a very technology-centric business, but once that technology reaches a point of commercialization, we also have a very strong commercialization arm that takes these products to market and makes things like bioplant-based polyurethanes for the footwear market. I know you've talked about this in the past, but you know your goal is to make your materials or footwear components mechanically equal or improved compared to the non-biomaterial counterparts that we're seeing in today's market. So what kind of maybe engineering challenges have you seen with developing these plant-based materials and how have you addressed them and overcome those challenges? Well, you know, sometimes it's about putting imperfect solutions into the market. <laughs> so we kind of took the software approach and launched a whole bunch of betas, right? And what that beta was, was a very good product, measurably sustainable, and was able to integrate flawlessly into these into the market, Right. But what I'll say is, you know, we also are challenged to kind of push our sustainability metrics lower, right? We want to have even lower carbon footprint. And so sometimes the best, most sustainable solution can't go to market first, right? And I think we took that learning very early on because we had a 90, 95, 100% bio-based material, but wasn't going to be commercially feasible for some time. So we decided to kind of launch a quantifiably sustainable product that performed, that integrated into the supply chain first, that measures between 70 to 82% bio, which is still great, still outcompetes a lot of the other products in the marketplace, but really does perform and is affordable, right? And so it's really kind of one of those things is sometimes it doesn't have to be perfect to be sustainable, as long as you're not having these other impacts around climate change or pollution or that sort of thing. So we measure our products in terms of impact categories with water, land use, and all these kind of things to make up our life cycle analysis. And that's critical in saying, this is a good product, 
that's quantifiably measurable for sustainability metrics that can go to market while we perfect this in the background with a great technical R&D team. So I think it's very important to understand that imperfect solutions can make huge differences now while we work to perfect those solutions. So they're even greater in the future. With that kind of idea of the future, I think that most small companies or startups are always thinking about scaling up, especially in the material R&D space. Maybe first, I know you said you had a manufacturing arm in uh, Asia. What is the current output? And then in five to 10 years, where do you see Evoco's goals, whether that be just much more production of your baseline material that you're talking about, your betas, or is this now moving into more mature markets like automotive and other markets? Great question. It is basically a framework of all of those things. So in the future, you'll see Evoco dotted up in not just Vietnam, but in places like India, like Europe, like the US, like South America. But you'll also see our partnerships all over the world from every continent, maybe not the two poles, but you know, definitely Australia, Canada, everywhere in the world. And we see collaboration is critical to our path of growth, but also critical in building an industry, right? We're, we can't just be a company working to sell a product. We have to be a company working within an industry, this plant-based, bio-based industry that can make a variety of different materials. So partnerships, collaboration are going to be critical to our growth, along with this continued integration and manufacturing of our IP, of our technology, of our chemistry. From the material standpoint, then, I know you talked about 70, 70 to 80% bio-based versus 90 to 95%. And in product development, there's a lot of give and take, right? So from that standpoint, what exactly are you kind of like balancing in terms of the characteristics that you have to give up to maybe get to that 90 to 95% at this moment in your development process? Yeah. First thing is always scalability. Second thing is cost. And then third is performance. That's how we kind of go through a process of measuring this because performance means different things to different people, to different product lines, right? So we may develop something that is very high bio content that has different performance metrics than say you'd see something in the automotive industry or the footwear industry. So first is scalability. Second is the commercial impacts, the cost, the the pricing strategy, and third is performance. Maybe to wrap up the conversation since You've shared so much about footwear industry and specifically, you know, making it more sustainable. I would love to hear your advice for the next generation of students and early career professionals who are passionate about sustainability, but are unsure about how to translate that passion into a career, whether that's industry, academia, or entrepreneurship. Yeah, and and that's critical because we need great minds, great people working for companies, but also making companies too. But you don't have to be an entrepreneur to make an impact, right? Working with the company like Evoco, we're trying to hire talent, man. We want energetic, young talent that wants to do what we're doing. And not necessarily just, I want to be a chemist and and make chemistry. We want people involved in the culture of Evoco that want to make plant-based chemistry that makes a difference. You know, so technical degrees are, are extremely important. <laughs> and, and I'm an engineer. I'm a chemical engineer. There's materials engineering. There's chemical engineering, physics engineering, mechanical, all these types of different engineering things that I think people are very much focused, probably like my my son, <laughs> thinking about the technology and AI and all that kind of stuff. Like your podcast, we live in the material world and the material world is what's damaging the planet and toxifying and carbonizing the planet. 
So we do need qualified engineers, scientists that will work in this environment and understand that their value is in really making an impact in these companies. Now, there's technical degrees, there's business degrees, whatever you want to do as, as that, or you want to come out and just be a part, come out of, out of school, out of whatever education system you want to take part in. There's roles to play in, in, in the work that we're doing, right? And I think the opportunity is, I'm not going to say follow your passion because it's just not a realistic thing to say. What I'm saying is, you know, you need to go out and develop a career and there's a lot of opportunity, not just with materials, but in the climate tech sector that you can make a real difference, whether it's being an entrepreneur, being a supporting academia roles, like you said, or coming in and working in this environment and being a part of a culture and a mandate to clean up our world. I love that. To wrap up the episode, where can listeners, viewers go to learn more about Evoco and your next steps and your next accomplishments? Well, check out our website, evocolimited.com and also our LinkedIn page. I tend out to put some thought leadership stuff out there on LinkedIn. Evoco really does try to push the, the conversation as well. So check us out on LinkedIn, check out our website. We probably need to work a little bit more on the other aspects of social media, like our Twitter and stuff like that. But, you know, we're growing and we're learning. And uh, But LinkedIn is a great place to start. It's also a great place to look for your next career move and that sort of thing. So not promoting LinkedIn by any means, but what you're trying to do here, that's where you can find a lot of great companies, a great jobs around the climate tech sector. So kind of segueing out of that last conversation into this one, find Evoco, learn what we're doing, but there's a lot of other companies out there in your area that could be doing the same thing as we are, or similar things that'd be a great opportunity to look at and to learn about. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining us today. It was a pleasure having you. And I learned a lot about Evoco. I'm excited to see what's next for you guys. Yeah, me too. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.